Matthew chapter 21. I wanted to tackle these first 11 verses because, and I hope you'll see a theme from some of the music that we sang this morning too. Uh, Beholding our God, a Hosanna. These are the same kinds of things that people said when Jesus came in on the donkey. And so I wanted to kind of echo those things in our church this morning as we think about this. Thank you, Jordan. Um, this, this is a, a part of Matthew, the part of the story of, of Christ that we understand to be the triumphal entry, right? So we usually talk about this uh, around Palm Sunday, um, kind of traditionally. And so this is the triumphal entry section of Jesus' life. And Jesus' journey that we've walked through in the first 20 chapters of the book of Matthew has taken us from Bethlehem when he was born into Gentile territory where he started preaching the gospel all the way back to Jewish territory. And now he's heading straight into the heart of Jewish tradition. He's going straight to the temple. But he's got some things to do before he gets there. And that's what we talk about this morning in chapter 21. See, Jesus had spent years teaching and preaching and healing and casting out demons and doing all of these things. And now he's entering the holy city. We remember this day. I hope we remember this day, the triumphal entry, as the day that Jesus reveals himself as the king. So that's what, if I were to title my sermon today, it would be the king. Because that's who Jesus came to reveal himself as in this text. This day was a day of celebration, certainly. All four, this is one of the few things that all four of the Gospels just talk very specifically about, was this coming into Jerusalem. But if you think about it, for Jesus' earthly life, this was the beginning of the end, wasn't it? How many days was it until he would go to the cross? Just a few. It was only eight days until he was going to be joyfully welcomed, or in the next eight days, I should say, he was going to be welcomed into the city, right, that we talk about today. And he's going to go straight from there and start flipping over tables and whipping people. And he's going to make the religious leaders really angry again, probably angrier than they've ever been before. He's going to institute the Lord's Supper. He's going to get arrested. He's going to go to trial. He's going to be crucified. And he's going to rise again. All that happens in just over a week's time from this moment in Jesus' life. So I want to keep that in perspective as we're thinking about what is happening in this story with the donkey and all of these things. These events... In these eight days, I also want to make sure that we, un- we remember all of these things were planned before the foundation of the world. Before Christ ever took a breath, before you ever took a breath, before Noah, before Adam ever took a breath, this was God's plan. This was foreordained. This was happening And these next eight days in the life of Jesus weren't just monumental for him. They were life-changing for all of history. Everything changed because of what happened this week, eight days. The way that we tell time, the way that we measure days and weeks and months was affected by Christ in this event, right? Um, B.C. means before Christ. 
after or AD doesn't mean after death. It means in the year of our Lord. It's Latin, and so it means as Christ is reigning. And if we know Scripture, we know Christ is reigning today. We're in the year of the Lord now. And so um, that was even affected by what happened in this week. It was monumental. So think back to the last few times when Jesus healed someone, right? He, he took blindness away. He would take a demon away. And what did he generally say to the people after he did that? Sometimes he said, go. They often then would go follow him. What else would he say? Go and sin no more. Something. Your faith has healed you. He said that. Jacob. Yeah, he would say, don't tell anybody. Now, we've mentioned this before. The reasons why he did that was his time had not yet been fulfilled. The time had not yet come for him to be revealed in that way. Well, guess what? Now's the time. Now is the time when Christ is coming and he's not keeping it quiet anymore. I mean, just look at verse 3 again. He's talking with his disciples and he says, talking about the donkeys, he says, the Lord needs them. The Lord has need of them. He's talking about himself in using this term. I don't know that that was lost on those disciples, but sometimes it's lost on us. Christ is, I mean, he's open this now. He's opening all of this. He's admitting and recognizing and proclaiming himself as Lord and as the one who is completely sovereign over all these things that he's telling his disciples right here. So beginning in this chapter and through the end of Matthew, through the end of the book, Matthew is going to show us just this incredible, breathtaking picture of Jesus Christ as the true king, capital K, as the king. And so just from our text today, and like I said, this is going to be fairly short, from our text today, I want to notice three things, three of the attributes of Jesus as king. The first one is that Jesus is the sovereign and omnipotent king. Sovereign and omnipotent king. Um, I have a question for you Awana kids who were with us last semester. What does omnipotent mean? Raise your hand. Samuel, what does omnipotent mean? Um, Omni means, remember? Okay, he's thinking. Omnipotent. So omni and potent. Okay, everywhere all the time. Um, well, we're, omni means all, right? Potent means what? All powerful? Okay. So omnipotent, mean, omnipotent means all-powerful. All-knowing would be omniscient, all-knowledge. You, you got it. All right, so omnipotent and sovereign king. He's, a, he's the God who knows, who plans, who instructs, who guides, who ordains. But he's also God who can fulfill all of those things that he ordains. So look at the details of this. This is a pretty... You know, there's not a whole lot of spiritual content to these first few verses, so to speak. You know, he's telling his disciples, hey, I need a donkey. Go get a donkey. If they ask, here's what you say. But 
take a step back and look at some of these details for a second. Jesus tells his disciples, he mentions here a specific village outside of Jerusalem, a specific donkey, a specific donkey owner, and he says to say a specific thing to this specific donkey owner to let them borrow it. Lots of details that he didn't just guess would happen. It wasn't just coincidence that these things came about in that way. Every detail of this scene points to the simple but now very evident truth that Jesus is the Lord of all. And he's coming out revealing that openly now. He wasn't just in charge of this little band of disciples because that's all that the religious leaders cared about. Well, he's going to you know, start an uprising with this little group. But Jesus wasn't just in charge of the little group of disciples. He was over everything. He was in charge of everything. In the fullness of his knowledge, he ordained these things to come to pass, and they did, just like he said. Jesus is the sovereign and omnipotent king. Number two, Jesus is the prophesied king. For this, we're going to need to go back to where that prophecy first happened, and that's the book of Zechariah, the little New Old Testament book of Zechariah. So I encourage you to turn there. I'll give you a little extra time because it's not quite the easiest book to find. Zechariah, not Zephaniah, not Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. So Haggai was a prophet who encouraged Jews who were returning from exile to rebuild the temple. But Zechariah was a prophet who encouraged them to repent and renew their covenant with the Lord. And here in chapter 9, verse 9, he is giving a picture of what's going to happen. And so listen to this as we read together. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. Can anyone guess how many years before Christ this prophecy was given? 500 years. 500-ish, 500 years before Christ, Jesus is prophesied about. And look what's happening. It's coming true, right as it was said. 500 years before even Jesus enters the scene, God promised that a donkey would be available in a specific location with specific requirements at a specific time. Again, God's sovereign and omnipotent hand is at work here. But let that sink in for a minute. 500 years I can't predict what's going to happen five minutes from now. I can't remember what happened five days ago. And yet, God, five hundred five centuries beforehand, has set this all in motion. Let that just resonate and sink in for a second. God used pro- the prophet Zechariah to divinely prophesy about a particular donkey that had never been ridden before, that would be at a particular place in Jerusalem so that it could be used for a particular purpose, to carry in the king. Jesus Christ fulfills centuries-old 
prophecies perfectly because he's a prophesied king. And here's an application point that the Lord really impressed on me as I was reading and studying through this this week. If God can plan the details of the disciples borrowing a donkey 500 years in advance, can't he handle the details of your life today? Of my life today? I mean, just step back and think about that because I get it. We're concerned and we've got issues and and we've got things that we need to work with God on. Um, And yet, we talked about this Wednesday night at our um, family night study. We take that stress on because we like control. It, 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 we feel like we have things in hand when we're in control. And yet, Scripture teaches that that's pretty much the exact opposite. When we have things we think in hand, really things are getting out of hand. But when we give that stress, that control over to Christ... He does the right thing with it. It's not always what we plan, but he does the right thing with it. So if God can plan the borrowing of a donkey 500 years in advance, he absolutely can deal with the details of your life and my life today. And I think he cares more about you than he does a donkey. He does, if you didn't know. Absolutely does. Um, God handles the details better than we ever could. So stop trying to grasp and maintain control and give it to God. So the donkey was brought to Jesus. We continue on. The donkey was brought to Jesus. The disciples put their cloaks on it. Jesus sits on this um, donkey with the, the cloaks on it. The crowd starts putting their cloaks down on the ground. Some of them got palm branches and put those on the ground instead of their cloaks. And they begin shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest Hosanna to the king. Um, Hosanna in Hebrew means, oh, save or save now. In some way, they had an understanding that this is what Jesus came to do. Now, as we'll talk about in just a minute, their understanding of him saving them was different than his actual intent on coming to save Um, But they began shouting this. They said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the Son of David. This is also a quote from the Old Testament from Psalm 118 that we read from earlier today. And and so they're very much in support of Jesus at this point. Of what? I don't know that they really know fully. But they're in support of him. And so I want to talk a little bit about um, what was happening in Jerusalem at this time. Uh, This was Passover week. So we're in the book of Hebrews in our senior high youth Sunday school. And so we talked about the Passover today, just this morning. Is that time in the Old Testament in Egypt where the death angel was coming for the firstborn. And the Israelites were given instruction to put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts and the death angel would pass over them. And so they have remembered that ever since and and for good reason. Um, but that's, it's Passover week in Jerusalem. And so people, Jews from all over were coming there to the center, to where the temple was to celebrate this, to be reminded of these things. And so this was called the feast of remembrance. So in the city, there were, uh, there could be four, five, six times as many people there as normal 
during this week. It's no coincidence that this was the time that Jesus came to reveal himself as king. It's not a coincidence. He came to do this. See, Jesus was coming as the Lamb of God who was leading a greater exodus than Moses did, and he was coming to Jerusalem this very same time. He came to put on full display the king that he had really come to be. No longer was he saying, keep it quiet, saying, proclaim it from the streets. And we'll see the interesting uh, story later on in the book of Matthew 21 where they're trying to get him to tell the people to be quiet, stop calling him son of David, um, stop telling him to praise him. He says, if I tell them to be quiet, the rocks are going to scream out. The rocks are going to cry out. Right? He had come to, made it, to make it known that he was the king. But he came in a way that they didn't expect. And this is the third thing that I want us to see, that Jesus came as the gentle and peaceful king. So per Zechariah's prophecy, Jesus didn't come as this arrogant and harsh king who was conquering a nation. He came instead humbly. Throughout history, uh, most people groups honored their king with great reverence and, and fear at his coronation. And in essence, that's what this was. Uh, that, that king in, in those times would be dressed in this very ornate um, attire, uh, a lot of pomp and circumstance and, you know, lots of celebration. And a, it was a big deal. Um, <clears throat> but how did, enter, how did Jesus enter the scene? It wasn't quite that same way. Now, there was some pomp. People were laying things down for him to ride in on. But he came in not dressed in these fancy robes, but dressed in his normal everyday, probably pretty tattered and worn attire, his robe. Um, he didn't come on this giant horse. He came on a donkey. And I, I found out as doing some studying this week that um, it was actually pretty common for a king to do this. Um, if, if a king wanted to announced that they were going to war. He would come in riding on a war horse and he would be pumping the people up, getting them excited that they were going to go and win a victory over their enemies. But if a king wanted to communicate to his people that they were at peace with their enemies, he would come in riding on a donkey. So turn back to Zechariah. I turned away from there, but turn back to Zechariah if you're not already there. I want to look at the next verse. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 10. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus didn't come on a war horse. He said, that's going to that's be cut off. The bow is gone. It's not a time for war anymore. What did he come to speak to the people? Peace. He came to speak peace. God's king wasn't coming in on a war horse. He was coming to speak peace. And, and so... In that day, I don't know that there would have been a greater image of power than for Jesus to come in on a big giant, I I picture in my mind this big Clydesdale of a horse, 
right? I mean, just I mean, you can't deny that there's power in that animal. And him come riding in on one of those things. He's God. He could have designed that. And yet 500 years prior, that's not the plan. The plan is for a donkey that had never been ridden before. A pretty young one. A donkey that signified humility. It signified peace. If a king comes on a war horse, he's making it known that they're going to be victorious over their enemies. But if he comes through town on a donkey, as Jesus did, it would be clear that there was no more need for war, but that peace has been made. And, and I say it again because I want us to understand peace in this way. Jesus was coming to announce peace, but not peace between nations. He was coming to announce peace between God and man. He was coming to say that the mission that he had come to fulfill, he was doing. No longer do we have to be enemies of God. No longer do we have to be separated from him because of our sin. Jesus had come to do away with that and to speak peace to the nations. And this is the message for us, for you. Guys, Romans 5 verse 10 reminds us that we are, by our nature, enemies of God. Now, I, I don't know if you feel that, if you're not saved, um, but maybe you do. Maybe you feel that you're not at peace with him. Uh, I would think that you wouldn't because you're not at that point. But Jesus has come to speak peace to you to announce that there is no longer this barrier between us and God, He has made a way for you to be brought near. And this is the joy that I found in this, these first 11 verses, this text. Jesus has come t- to speak peace between God and man, to be reconciled, that we could be reconciled to Him. Because of sin, you and I can never be close to the heart of God. If you know the Roman road that's sometimes referred to, the first couple of verses make that real clear. Romans 3.23, everyone sin and falls short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. This, is, this paints a picture of our true condition before Christ. And yet, that's not the end of the story. Even the last part of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He has come to break down the dividing barrier between us and God. And this is what Jesus came to speak on. We are, by nature, children of wrath. Ephesians 2 points that out. We follow the prince of the power of this world. We're, by nature, children of wrath. We have no good on our own. First three chapters of Romans sums that up really easily, really clearly. And yet, God has come to break down that barrier. Trying not to sin is a noble feat. Like that's a noble thing to aim for. But you will constantly, always fail if you do that on your own. If you are trying in your own strength to be right before God, to do the right thing, to make the right choice in these right circumstances, you're always going to blow it. Even those of you who have been Christian for, Christians for decades readily admit that. Probably more now than you did before. I blow, I blow it so often. And so that paints, when we see ourselves in that light, it's not to to cast doubt on our importance. God has made you in his image and he loves you. 
But when you see yourself as needy and helpless, that exalts Christ to the proper place, doesn't it? Because he's the one. He's the only answer. He's the only way. He's the only path. He's the only door to go through. And God hasn't left you to struggle with sin on your own. He has empowered you through his spirit to fight sin, to put to death our sinful nature, and to follow after him. See, the people in Jesus' day, they were looking for Jesus to come in on a war horse and to, to defeat the, oppressor, the oppressors of the Hebrew nation, of Rome specifically. The Israelites wanted someone to come in and beat Rome for them so that they could have their land back, so they could have their freedom back. And Jesus is not what they expected. I wonder, what do we expect Jesus to be? Because even in, even in recent times in my life, knowing the truth, I find myself saying, man, I did not see that coming. I did not think that God was going to do that this way. And I, I have to reset my expectations because Jesus is not who Rod thinks he should be. He's who he is. And so the reality is when I project the God that I think he should be onto him, I've created an, an idol in my own heart. That's not the true God. And so we have to constantly, I have to constantly be destroying those idols in my heart of who I think Jesus should be. Because just like the Israelites, he's not who I think he should be sometimes. But he is who he's supposed to be. My expectations need to be realigned. And so do yours, I'm sure. They didn't expect this kind of king to come because Jesus came to bring spiritual peace between God and man. But it wasn't just peace for Israel. Look back at what Zechariah says in that verse. He says he's going to speak peace to who? To the nations. To everyone. Outside the Jewish faith, inside the Jewish faith, the king was coming to speak peace, to be gentle, to be humble, to the nations, to everyone. His rule shall be from sea to sea, Zechariah says and emphasizes here. Here's the truth, especially in light of what has happened this week and in recent weeks. I want us to, to remember that Jesus, King Jesus, is in control and rules over every person, every leader, every king, every senator, every congressman, every judge, and every president. Jesus is the king. Nothing that has happened this week has thwarted his plan, has caught him by surprise. Jesus is king. Jesus rules. And this peace with God, the salvation that he accomplished, is good news for all people, all the nations. And this is what fuels missions. It's not a guilt-driven thing. Uh, people can stand up here and tell you the need of people at Shining Light or people in India or people in Vanuatu. And if all it does is rise guilt up in us, we won't respond to that in, in the proper way. Instead, what fuels our passion for missions is that God loves them just as much as he loves me. And if that's true, and they've never heard, I need to tell them. 
You need to tell them. And we do this together. We do it here in Pike County. We do it in Lincoln County. We do it in St. Louis County. We do it in Georgia. We do it in the United States. And that's why we give to things like the Missouri Missions Offering. That's why we give to the Lottie Moon. That's Christmas, right? Lottie Moon. Annie Armstrong at Easter. Um, that's why we give to the Lottie Moon. International missions is to go and to have the, the, the peace that Jesus came to proclaim, we then get now to go proclaim to others. And that's why we give in this way. And so this good news of peace that God has given through Jesus is for all people. And guys, that includes you. God wants peace with you. But because of your sin, that cannot happen. You have to give your sin over to the Lord. You have to give yourself over to the Lord. In essence, Jesus is calling you to die to yourself. He says that those very words back earlier in the book of Matthew. His peace for the nations, his peace for people includes you. And so I want us to know that the hope of our church, the hope of me as a pastor here, is that you would be, every one of you would be at peace with God. Not just so that your life is instantly better, because that may not happen. Uh, Think back to all those Christians who were martyred for their faith. We cannot say that trusting Christ will make your life easier in this life but it will make it better because you'll be in with him for eternity. And he never leaves us even in this life. Amen. So our hope is that you would have peace with God. And that only happens when you stop looking at your own ability to be good and instead look to Jesus and believe. That's our hope. That's our call. If you do not have peace with God today, you can. And we pray that you will. So let's pray this morning. God, you've called us to peace. In Romans, you tell us that you have, you have knocked down the wall of hostility. Lord, you are right to judge sin. But when you judged sin, is when Jesus was on the cross. You judged it all on him. He took it all. He paid it all so that we wouldn't have to. And so many of us, Lord, every day continue to try to pay it ourselves. We try to do the right thing at just the right time and mark off the checklist so that we're good little Christian boys and girls. And Lord, that's not, that's not the recipe. That follows a dedicated believer. But that's not what causes and creates a dedicated believer. Lord, may you rescue us from... Um, from self. God, rescue me from the comfort that I feel when I think that I've done everything I need to. Lord, I, I need you to prod me out of my comfort and into the fray where you are so often. God, I pray this for my brothers and sisters here that they would not remain comfortable but would go out and speak peace to their coworkers and speak peace to their family. And Lord, in doing so, this wall of hostility is being brought down again and again and that they are sharing with their family members and their employers and their co-workers that they have an opportunity to be at peace with the creator of the universe. Well, that's an amazing idea. 
It's an amazing concept, and yet it's so true. God, you've created us to be with you. And so I pray that we would be today. Help us not to look to ourselves, but instead for peace, for comfort, um, for your plan. Lord, I pray that we would look to Jesus instead. Lord, give us grace as we go, as we reflect on these things, that you might be glorified in our lives more and more. In your name we pray. Amen.